And when we came to create the foundation in 2009, we were sitting on my buddy's back deck and we're playing off all these ideas. The original name of the foundation uh, was going to be called Flip Back, which was taking the word backflip and just spinning the words around, Flip Back Foundation. But I really started to think, man, people are going to think that's like a foundation for like whales or something. And I, I just don't <laughs> think that. And uh, all of a sudden we we're like high fives. And we're like, whoa, man, that could be really cool because a high five, it is impossible to give a high five to someone and not exchange positive stoke between those two people. You can try as much as you want. You can literally try as much as you want, but you're gonna have to think really hard in your head. Say, don't be positive, don't be positive. While I do this, but you're thinking in your head, don't be positive. So really what you're doing is you're just being more positive. So it's a, it's a pretty great thing to have that name and have it be associated with the organization that literally reinstills positivity to folks that lose identity uh, when they suffer these life-altering injuries. Hi, this is Roy Tuscany, the co founder and executive director of the High Fives Foundation. You are listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Please enjoy this amazing interview. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to introduce Roy Tuscany, who is the co-founder and executive director of the High Fives Foundation, whose mission is to support the dreams of mountain action sports athletes by raising injury prevention awareness while providing resources and inspiration to those who suffer life-altering injuries. In 2006, Roy suffered a life-altering injury that left him paralyzed from the waist down and was the catalyst to the creation of High Fives. Roy turned the financial and community support of his own recovery into a pay-it-forward adventure with the creation of the High Fives Nonprofit Foundation. So, Roy, I'm really excited to have you on, and I, I came across your story through uh, one of my former guests, David Vibora, and I'm excited to have you on. And if you could just start off by you know, taking us through the events uh, that led up to your injury on uh, April 26, 2009. Man, you got to interview Thorgis? Yeah, Dave, yeah, the, Dave, he's the man, dude. Yes, he is. Oh my God, Dave Abor is is easily one of my top five favorite humans in the entire world. Uh, what a great guy! I got plenty of stories about Dave, but um, my story, uh, April 29, two thousand six. Everything uh, took a big, drastic change. Kind of uh, showed up to work and had one of those bad work days, I guess you could say. I was uh, <laughs> aspiring pro skier who um, graduated college in two thousand four from the University of Vermont with a degree in mechanical engineering and mathematics, and decided that I was going to take two years out west, focus on my true passion, which was uh, being a professional free skier, and then from there I would then. And use my degrees after that. Well, exactly at the end of my two years of uh, ski coaching at the Sugar Bowl Academy, I was down at Mammoth and unfortunately went about 130 feet on a 100-foot jump. I came down from 30 feet in the air and the resultant impact into the snow first fractured my T12 vertebrae right in my spine. It left me without any motion, any feeling, or any physical uh, ability to move my lower extremities uh, kind of from the belly button down. And that right there was legitimately the... Um, the start to an entire new phase of my life, almost if some have called it uh, a 5.0 extension, the, the 5.0 lifestyle. Um, so that's been, that's kind of my story of, of how I got hurt and why probably we're talking today. So you were just going too fast over the jump. Like what, what caused the crash? 
You know, I, I had been down there two weeks prior uh, with a group of uh, kids that I was coaching at Sugar Bowl Academy, and we hit this jump, this step up, the same exact jump that I, you know, ended up getting hurt on. The jump was just so much fun, and literally, I knew I was coming back in two weeks, and I like for two weeks just thought about this jump endlessly and endlessly, and then literally just showed up first thing, and you know, made a very big kind of rookie mistake. I uh, didn't do a speed check, and you know, being a coach in the ski industry, I'd always, you know, always put safety first and um, for some reason something was different that day and I decided not to speed check which I still don't know why or, or why I didn't and ended up hitting the jump with too much speed and uh, overshot the bottom of it by about 30 feet so what, what's a speed check like how do you how do you perform one of those things so a speed check is kind of like, uh, you know, where you would go into the jump with the amount of speed that you think you need. And then you kind of just side slide up the side of the jump. You know, you kind of see it like in other sports with like freestyle motocross where they'll, they'll go up to the jump and right before you think they're going to hit it, they'll pull to the right and they're just kind of checking their speed. Okay. Um, so that's the same kind of concept, uh, in skiing, you know, you, you kind of, you know, take the speed that you believe you should have, but you never actually hit the jump. And, you know, after you've been doing this for such a long time, regardless of, you know, what your, you know, mechanism is for flight, is that skis or freestyle motocross or any type of, you know, sport that has a, an air trickery to it, you kind of know the speed that you need. And for some reason that morning, I just took off the, the snow was harder because it was harder in the morning, had a new pair of skis on that were a little bit wider with a fresh coat of wax. And those are probably the two items that, you know, resulted in the increase in speed and ultimately, uh, the too much air that was ca caught and taken that day. And all the excitement building up to getting back to that jump probably had something to do with it too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was so excited to get to that jump. It, I don't know why. <laughs> so when you ultimately crashed and you, you know, realized that you couldn't move every, anything from the belly button down, what were like your initial thoughts, fears, emotions? You know, I was truthfully just absolutely devastated. Um, this whole concept of, uh, you know, this idea of being a professional free skier instantly halted that day. The funniest part is I remember, I remember I was like talking to, uh, the, EMT guy on the way to the hospital being like, yeah, yeah, there's a big sushi dinner tonight. I'm going to go to it. And the EMT guy was just the nicest guy in the room. He's like, yeah, totally. You are. <laughs> and little did I know that there was no chance I was going to be making a sushi dinner that night. Was that just like you, did you know like initially, like this was really bad? Yeah. You know, when I first crashed, I, I definitely kind of, um, got knocked out and opened my eyes and there was blood everywhere. And from the impact that I took, I legitimately thought my legs had gotten shot through my body oh. and that my, all of a sudden my legs were just sticking out my shoulders. But obviously that, that is not what happened. Uh, what actually happened is I, I cut an artery on my right thumb and uh, the blood everywhere was just from my, my thumb. And I couldn't really explain what was going on because it was something that I had never experienced before in my life. Uh, paralysis is a, is a pretty hard thing to explain to someone until you actually experience it. There's actually this pretty crazy trick that you can do. If you make a fist with your hand and you uh, stick out your ring finger, and then you put your fist and your ring finger on a, on a solid flat surface. Um, if you try to lift up that ring finger, uh, your ring finger won't move. You can look at it, you can stare at it, you can try as hard as you want. But for some reason, if you make a fist and stick out that ring finger and put it on a flat surface, the ring finger won't move. And that is truthfully the only way that you can explain the paralysis concept of, of how it is because you're looking at that ring finger. Why won't you move? And that, that's kind of the best way to explain the, the paralysis situation. 
Well, I was just doing that, and it's definitely a frustrating feeling to try to lift that finger off the, the table that I have in front of me. So that must have been scary as, as hell for sure. So when you got to the hospital, what was their initial diagnosis? Like, did they, you know, what was your and diagnosis and prognosis too? You know, the, um, the first one was really negative. It was actually from the MRI CAT scan uh, kind of technician. Uh, the radiologist. And, you know, obviously I think he spoke out of turn, but I asked him, I said, what happened? He said, you uh, crushed your vertebrae and you'll never walk again. And I was like, what? What? (laughs) No. And I obviously from there was just like, what is this advice that I'm getting? And, you know, it was great to have that person not be a medical profession because when I got to meet the, um, the surgeon who per- ended up performing my surgery, you know, he, he gave me the, this amazing thought that has carried me the whole time. And he said, whatever Roy puts into this recovery, Roy will get back in return. And, you know, I've taken that since, you know, the entire period of time being is let's work as hard as we can and see if we ever can achieve that whatever I put into this recovery, I will get into return. And it's a long road, man. My injury was in 2006. It's now 2017. And I definitely don't walk or um, run or do any type of activity that you don't recognize a big hiccup in my step. I, uh, I got a pretty good gangster limp, I guess you could call it. Okay. Been hit with a few shells, but I don't walk with a limp 50 cent. Anyone? Yeah, crickets. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played, well played. I'm a big 50 Cent fan back in the day, but uh, I, I had your date wrong. I thought it was 2009, but you're saying April 26, 2006. So that's when I got hurt. I started high fives in, uh, uh, in 2009. So they, that's how a lot of times they get confused. Oh, but yeah, gotcha. Okay. April 29, 2006 is when I actually got hurt. All right, geez, all, right. all sorts of all over the place. My bad. Um, nope. Okay, so. Was that so? The that bad news that you got that was from a tech, like a radiology tech, or yeah, it was from a radiologist at the Mono Lakes Hospital in Mammoth. And you know, I think he, uh, I think he just spoke out of turn. You know, sometimes uh, everybody has a little bit of verbal diarrhea in their life, and uh, that uh, that just seemed to maybe be his day. And um, you know, I, I I always took that as holy gosh. But, you know, obviously the medical surgeon, uh, Dr. David Leppel, amazing individual from Reno, Nevada, uh, he put my back back together. Okay, and, and he gave you a more positive outlook on the situation, and that helped kind of carry you through um, to, to, I guess, high fives, right? Exactly. So what was the rehab process after surgery? and like, yeah. What was some of the frustrations that you had um, throughout that time? Um, you know, I had a lot of like kind of mini complications, you know, I was making great strides right out of the gate and really having a a solid recovery through the acute, um, you know, kind of the first 50 days of the, the injury. But after the 50 days, I just started to have an absolute havoc in the recovery world. Uh, my Achilles tendons on both of my legs ended up shortening by two inches and, and pulling my feet up to where I could only walk on the outside components of my foot and completely with no, uh, stability. Um, having to wear uh, AFOs, which are ankle, foot orthotics um, that provide support from basically the knee all the way down to the tip of the toes. It's a it's a plastic shell that resides on the outside of your foot and basically provides uh, 
support where there's instabilities. And I wore those and then those turned into all these pressure sores that developed on my feet from the bottom of my left foot to the top of my right foot. Um, I had all these pressure sores, so I couldn't wear these AFOs. So I was going in and out of a wheelchair and, and the mentality for me was uh, was pretty hard to deal with because you know, you're making these positive strides forward and then you're just taking these huge valleys. And so you're seeing these massive peaks, valleys and plateaus. And you know, after a while, it kind of gets a, a little bit struggle fest um, through the recovery process. But surrounding yourself with positive community and finding individuals that want to help you succeed, uh, that's what's really pushed me through those kind of hardships that were developed through the recovery. Anyone like specifically who helped you through that time, like in those valleys that you're talking about? Oh my God. Yeah. This guy, Wayne Burwell, the most amazing human I've ever met in my life. He, he grabbed me at the lowest point ever and, and personally trained me. And he is like this world renowned trainer in the Vermont, New Hampshire area, uh, played in the CFL, amazing sprinter, um, just a physical phenom of a human being. And he was uh, super instrumental. And then from Wayne, um, I came out here and started working with a Native American physical therapist that kind of mixes the wor worlds of the West and the East together and forms this creative uh, concept of physical therapy and a uh, guy by the name of Lad Williams. And, you know, those are probably the two most influential people in my actual components of recoveries because they both showed me that, you know, anything that I do put into my recovery I could potentially get out just be building on the words uh, of the original surgeon. Okay. Um, so can you talk about, I, I read in one of the articles written about you about uh, your cross country coach, uh, coach Kerrigan and yeah. kind of the things that you learned and what you've taken from, from his coaching into your recovery. And I guess where you are today. Can um, you, yeah. Can you just t tell or talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean Kerrigan's army. He's the uh, he's the original gun gun gung ho individual in my life. I met uh, John Kerrigan when I was uh, in ninth grade. I joined the cross country team in tenth grade, and then we were back to back to back state champions along with the New England champion um, team from Vermont as well. Our senior year, just just an incredible uh, group of individuals that came together and and were really well disciplined and really well trained by by John. And you know, the name Kerrigan's army, it, it's not for the lighthearted. And, uh, he, the guy has produced like 35 state championships. I mean, he's so de decorated in the world of, uh, successful running programs. And you know what John taught us and Dr. You know, Mr. Kerrigan, coach Kerrigan, whatever we would call him. Um, you know, what he taught us is that regardless of whatever your expectations are, use the expectations of others to fuel uh, your push. And I think that's, you know, always been a driving force is when people doubt you or people um, don't believe you're going to be successful. It's like, cool, I'm going to use every bit of that to make sure that I am. And I think that is something that John taught me. And, you know, just he always made sure we, you know, we had specific workouts and you always had to do the workout and you always had to beat your time. And it was just kind of setting us up for success in life where, you know, no matter what we did, we always wanted to improve on it. And that's a really amazing word uh, in the Japanese culture, Kaizen, which is constantly improving and never settling for the standard that you set for yourselves. And, you know, that's a core value of my organization. And it's something that I was taught at a very young age. And it's something that I continually do every single day, constantly improving. Um, if you're constantly improving, uh, there's so many positivities and so many possibilities uh, for you to have in your life. 
Really cool. That that seems like a good uh, tattoo word or something. You said Kaizen? Yeah, K-A-I-Z-E-N. K-I. K-I. All right. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, all right, so when did you actually get back to skiing? Because I read somewhere else that you ended up, like, breaking your femur again or something. Man, so, you know, for the time that I was in my recovery phase from 2006 to 2008, you know, my entire focus was let's return to snow. Let's get back onto the hill. That was and always I, your goal, you're saying? Always my goal. Okay. Hey, I went skiing again um, and started to learn how to approach the mountain from an adaptive standpoint. Um, I'm known as a four tracker. So I use normal skis, normal ski boots, uh, but the ski poles that I have are, are basically extensions of my legs. Um, they're long poles with skis on the end and they allow me to balance and they also allow me to initiate turns and also how to initiate to stop. And so for four years, I started skiing heavily again and it was good, obviously not at the level or at any of the ability from post, uh, you know, pre-injury now being post. Um, but in 2012, I was skiing, uh, using some skinny skis on a heavy snow day and my ski went underneath the snow and it just started to rotate and it ended up snapping my femur and rotating my entire leg backwards. So on top of a spinal cord injury with, you know, damage to my nervous system and damage to my lower extremities, I now added on top of that, um, basically reconstructing my entire right leg. Uh, 13 screws, a floating screw that holds my knee together, and then two plates basically are, are what keeps my right leg moving. Damn, dude. And that, that that's all still in your leg right now? Yeah. Um, so, you know, how is that recovery like compared to your spinal cord injury? You know, to be honest, Kev, man, that was, uh, was so much more painful. Um, you know, when I got hurt, when my leg was broken and the bones were separated um, from my spinal cord injury, I have, I have what's known as spasticity, where my muscles kind of naturally fire, like almost like if you've worked out too hard where you can't control the contractions. Well, that's kind of the simplicity way of explaining spasticity. And so while my leg is broken, my leg is going into this spastic reaction where my leg is just firing, firing. And the bottom part of my leg is flopping up in the air while the bottom part is flopping down. It was just, you know, the worst pain I have ever experienced in my life. I can imagine. Jeez. Um, so I, I, you get, what were like your fears going back into skiing after what had happened? Um, you know, post-injury from, you know, my spinal cord, the biggest fear was, will I enjoy skiing again? And yeah, I enjoy going to the mountain. I enjoy going up the list with my friend. Going down the hill, I really don't. Um, post my femur accident in 2012, I've continued to ski and I've gotten to go on some amazing adventures and gotten to ski some amazing terrain and amazing resorts. But truthfully, I, I'm now kind of at the point in my life. I'm 36 years old. I have a, a great business. Um, I'm in a very healthy, amazing relationship with this incredible girl named Bailey. And for me, like I'm, I'm now kind of, you know, really looking, okay, I, I've, I'm, uh, I've ridden the the horse, or how you say it? I've ridden the horse wet, and put, or ridden the horse hard and put her away wet a few too many times. And you know, I'm really starting to look at okay, what are the activities in life that give me joy but don't have that high risk factor? And so skiing now is, has really started to take a back burner. And I really just ski when you know we do programs with our military guys, when we do things with our adaptive guys, when there's opportunities for me to go out and ski with other individuals um, that are doing it in an adaptive fashion. I'm really into going skiing, but you know, truthfully, being a recreational skier or someone that likes to ski a couple of days a week, which is you know used to be my entire life, um, is something that just no longer really 
like lights the entire flame for me because you know i i'm just Truthfully, I'm a bit scared to have another catastrophic injury. I also had a catastrophic right wrist injury from a snowmobile accident. So, you know, I'm, I, I've got uh, some pretty good battle wounds and scars to prove it on this body to, to talk about why I have some fear in, in participating in some of the sports that used to just, you know, keep the adrenaline flowing and keeping the body and the mind ticking. Right. So what have you kind of like replaced going skiing with to like kind of fill that void? You know, I've uh, I started to really focus on fitness. Um, really into spin classes and cycling. I'm really into meditation. I'm starting to get into yoga. Um, I'm also really, 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 really addicted to surfing. Um, surfing is just oh my god! I can't even explain what surfing is. And uh, you know, I'm just really into adventures. Things that that combine a lot of things together that, that get you outside, get you to get you to feel the greatness of air touching your face and, and having an amazing view out in front of you. Cool. So what about surfing? I saw you were surfing with uh, Babora's crew. And uh, so what about surfing makes you feel that way? Yeah, no, that's actually our crew. Vibora was just randomly down in San Diego. Oh, okay. I thought he brought his crew up. Yeah, no, so he brought Kyle Maynard, who is just uh, one of the most inspirational folks I've ever met in my life. Um, so Dave and Kyle came up with a couple uh, SEALs, and they came and joined uh, my crew, which had about 18 folks in it, uh, nine adaptive athletes, and we just went out surfing. It's something that we have found as an amazing outlet for the folks that we serve at High Fives uh, to either re-experience or experience for the first time surfing, because I'll tell you what, you put someone out in the ocean, and just the most amazing things start to happen. The ocean has healing qualities that are incapable of ever measuring the tangible results that are found in the healing process of the ocean. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it looked like an amazing time, and the, seeing the pictures and stuff from from the event, it was looked really cool. Um, so back to the question that I was blabbering about before, and I couldn't figure out what the hell I was trying to say was uh, when you were talking about your pre-injury self versus your post-injury self. How did you kind of? handle like did, did that upset you at first like knowing like where you were versus you know where you currently are after the injury no to be 100 percent honest if this injury didn't happen to me i i would be nothing of a shell of what i am this day that injury really humbled me it really provided me with a lot of self-conscious uh it provided me with a lot of self-empowerment too at, at the same time. Uh, pre-injury, I, I, was a, I was a very arrogant, very ungrateful, um, very just cocky, just, just an asshole is the best way to put it. And my injury really taught me that I was super lucky to have this amazing community of friends in Lake Tahoe and in Vermont and across the country that really rallied to ensure that they had me in their mind and support. And that really made me focus on, okay, what have I been missing in life? And what I've been missing in life is, is truly making connections and conversation and really taking people that you get to meet and really valuing the time you get to spend with them. And so post-injury me has, has really started to reflect on, um, you know, what is the, what is the best form of me? And, and this injury has uh, really allowed me to explore what, you know, what are the best ways to be the best human in the world? And, um, you know, so many people ask me all the time, would you, would you ever, be, if you could hit the rewind button, would you? I'll tell you what, you know, I miss playing men's slow pitch softball. I miss going for runs. I miss doing a lot of the things. But the experiences, the people, the conversation, the communication uh, with others that I've gotten to experience since my injury is something that I believe 
so many people are yearning for on a, on a daily basis. And to me, I just take it as I'm really lucky to be able to have something that has been so pivotal, pivotal in my life and take it in a positive way that has allowed me to reconnect and to re-engage and to connect and engage with people I might have never, ever gotten the chance to meet or to ever talk with. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, and I, I have a similar experience with the podcast that, you know, that I started after my injury. Um, but did you come to that realization like you know, pretty much immediately after your injury or did it take a little bit and you had like some struggles? I know for me, it took me a long time to kind of realize that I, I was fortunate for my injury. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, I always talk to people about the concept of, you know, how do you find the positive out of the negative? And the other thing I really talk to people about is remember when. And using that really powerful two-word statement, remember when before my injury I acted like this. Or remember when during my injury I couldn't do this. And it's a really powerful statement that these two words can, can affect the entire outcome of the way that you view things and how to take positives out of the negatives. And it's, it's a truly blissful thing when people like you and myself that can, um, that can overcome, you know, these things in life and, and really move forward from them. I, I love that. That's really cool. That remember one phrase, it's an easy thing for listeners to, you know, focus on when they're, when they're you know, feeling bad for themselves. Um, all right. So where did the, the idea for the high fives foundation come from and like where the name come from and all that. So what it came from is that surgeon that I talked about, Dr. David Lepla, uh, amazing surgeon, terrible bedside manner. Um, almost petrified to like talk to the, talk to the people that he, you know, he saves their, their lives. And so he came in and gave me all these great news. I'll just put 16 screws, two plates, two rods in your back, restabilized your spine and took the pressure of the bone off the spinal cord that was causing the paralysis. And I literally was like, okay, what should I do? I got to give this guy a high five. So I put my hand up in the air and, and, and just had my hand there. And then he star stared at it. And I'm like, what is going on here? Why won't he slap my hand? And it's because he didn't know what it was. And, um, you know, I, we exchanged a high five. And then that kind of seemed like, okay, if this is how I can break the ice with my surgeon, maybe this is how I can break the ice with my, with my nurses and my physical therapists and my occupational therapists and personal trainers and all these other people that I would meet along the journey of my recovery. The high five was just my way of greeting people. I wore funny socks and and, um, and greeted people with a high five. And that was just kind of my way of uh, instilling positivity when folks would uh, want to inquire about my injury or wanted to, you know, be a part of it. And when we came to create the foundation in 2009, we were sitting on my buddy's back deck and we're playing off all these ideas. The original name of the foundation uh, was going to be called Flip Back, which was taking the word backflip and just spinning the words around, Flip Back Foundation. But I really started to think, man, people are going to think that's like a foundation for like whales or something. And I, I just don't think <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden we we're like high fives. And we we're like, whoa, man, that could be really cool because a high five, it is impossible to give a high five to someone and not exchange positive stoke between those two people. You can try as much as you want. You can literally try as much as you want. But you're going to have to think really hard in your head and say, don't be positive. Don't be positive. All I do is <laughs> thinking in your head, don't be positive. So really what you're doing is you're just – being more positive. So it's a, it's a pretty great thing to have that name and have it be associated with the organization that literally reinstills positivity to folks that lose identity uh, when they suffer these life-altering injuries. Yeah, that, that identity is tough. And that's a, a powerful message with the high five. And when you think about it, it's true. Like you, you literally can't give a high five and not be, not be thinking positively. It's cool. Um, 
So, I have two questions for you, Kevin, real quick. I know these questions are for me, but I'm going to flip the switch on you real quick. Yeah, what's up? Uh, do you know how to do a perfect high five? Uh, no, the technique? No, I, I do not know. Always look at the receiver's elbow. So whoever you're going to give a high five to, look at that person's high elbow, and you'll give a perfect high five every single time. Is there like a scientific reason behind that? or what? I, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, ever since I've been using that technique, no one's ever missed. All right. I, I, I've heard the elbow thing when you're like trying to do the fi- high five and then like the follow through and then like backhand high five kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then here's the second question for you. Who invented the high five and what year? I have no idea. I probably should have looked this up before the, the interview. No, no, no. This is great. This is this is how I like open all my speeches. Um 1977, the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to be the first team in the history of Major League Baseball to have four players hit 30 home runs in one season. Uh, Dusty Baker, with three games left in the season, stood up in the bottom of the seventh, hit a home run over the left field wall. As he rounded third base, Glenn Burke, the rookie second baseman for the Dodgers at the time, ran out of the dugout, put his hand up in the air. Dusty Baker knew nothing else other than to give it a high five, and that is the first ever recorded or documented high five in the history of the world. And that was 1970-what? 77. 77. I feel like that that's like really recently. I know. That's what I that's how I feel too. But, but um you know it's it's the there's been amazing news article. It, you should look it up. It's an incredible story. Uh Glenn Burke unfortunately had a a spiral downfall. He was actually the first ever um gay baseball player and um it was during a time when that was just not accepted and um he basically got run out of baseball and and his entire life went down into a turmoil and uh, unfortunately passed away on the streets of la as a homeless human being but his his positivity that he gave through this and the creation of the high fives is all documented to him. And I'll tell you what, it's a crazy, it's an amazing New York times article. Uh, you can find it online and read it. You'll, uh, you'll be, you'll, you'll have a really good, uh, you know, positive feeling after reading the article. Yeah. I'll definitely link that up in, in the show notes. Um, so I know you're a part of your organization is to raise awareness about injury prevention, um, specifically in you know mountain sports. So can you kind of talk about some of the programs you have and maybe how they translate into other sports? Totally. So uh, BASICS is our injury prevention program, uh, acronym for Be Aware Safe in Critical Situations. We, in 2010, were approached by professional free skier and professional just overall human amazingness at everything he does um jt holmes um he's a stuntman he's a skier he's a uh, a baja racer he just won the baja 500 in a in a polaris utv i mean everything jt does is is top of the line and he also looks like a male model um and jt <laughs> came to us and, and just said guys i'm i'm tired of losing friends and i want to help educate the youth at the adherent dangers that exist in the in the mountain sports and so in 2010 we came up the acronym, and then in 2011 started creating documentaries, 22-minute pieces that highlight a, a, a specific um, focus for for safety. Our most successful one is a campaign called Helmets Are Cool, which really has a pretty simple uh, meaning behind it, trying to get people to, to realize that that helmets are cool. Uh, using a hashtag and, and, and how popular helmets are in other sports and how they kind of cross lines, uh, we were able to you know have a baseball team in North Carolina be called the Helmets Are Cool team. And we ended up sponsoring them and then having it translate over into football and having it translate over into a lot of other sports that, you know, it's a hard pursuit 
perception for folks to wear helmets um, because, you know, it's seen as you are being too safe or you're not hardcore enough. But, you know, the, the thing that I always tell people when we talk about helmets with others is, you know, I always ask, them, you guys got a laptop? They're like, yeah, I got an awesome laptop. It's a Macintosh. It's, it's the best. I'm like, you got, a, you got a computer case for that? They're like, yeah, I got the best computer case. Like, you can throw this thing on the ground and you'll never break it. I'm like, so why don't you wear a helmet then? Because our helmet is protecting our human body's computer. How do you see that your your head is a bigger investment than the $2,000 you spent on that laptop and the $60 you spent on that case? Like, why not do the same exact mentality that you're doing for these laptops for your head? And people instantly have no uh, word to argue what I'm stating at that point because I, I, I fell them in a trap because they already admitted that they're going to protect the, their computer to the highest ends. And when you make the correlation that our brains are our computers, um, it really hits home and then it, it really changes people pretty quick. That, that's a great way to put it. And I'm big on that too, obviously, because I have the, the brain injury and I play slow pitch softball and I wear a John Olerud helmet just because, you know, I, I don't really trust people and their throws in slow pitch softball. So, um, I, I really have resonated with that helmets are cool, uh, hashtag. And also, uh, I, I was at this event. Oh, what were we saying? I didn't say anything. Oh, I thought you were about to say something, but I was at this <laughs> event uh, a couple months ago. It was this uh, scholar athlete event for football players in the area. And I follow some of them on Instagram. And one of these kids, he's a really, he's a really cool kid. And he's like a, in the BMX and he does all sorts of stuff like outside of football, which I love. And he always posts these videos on Instagram of him BMXing, but he never has a helmet on. So every single post, I always comment, I'm like, where's the helmet, dude? Like, where's your helmet? Where's your helmet? And yeah. it blows my mind. I'm like, dude, like you have everything going for you and you could ruin all of it in like a second, you know, just from like trying to be cool and trying to be tough, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. And you know, I, you, it really hits home when you, you tie it into something and you can even tie it into your phone too. Nowadays with our phones being mini computers saying like, do you have a phone case? Yeah, I have a phone case. Obviously I don't want to crack my screen. Uh, do you really want to crack your brain? You know, there's, there's good ways to, um, to, you know, get other folks to realize, um, the severities that happen when you hit your head, you only get one brain. Like you can blow out your knee, you can blow out your hip. You can do a lot of damage to your human body and, and have it replaced or have some type of prosthetic to replace it. But I'll tell you what, man, you, you screw up your brain and there's, there's not much you can do to, to get it fixed or repaired. It's true. Um, what, what are some of the other documentaries that you have? Just like name some topics. I'm going to try to put all of them in the show notes for this episode so uh, listeners can kind of go back and, and look at those also. Totally. So uh, we have um, our first one is called Five Critical Mistakes where we look at the mistakes that High Fives athletes that we've granted money to, the mistake that they made that day and, and what caused that injury and, and then teach critical thinking from that process. Uh, the next one is a snow safety document which talks about how snow changes uh, throughout the course of the day and in the different areas in the world that people participate in snow sports. Then helmets are cool. Then uh, Know Your Park. Know Your Park is a terrain park safety initiative that is geared and built around um, all terrain park, which is kind of the new hot thing for skiers and snowboarders. And then the last is choices. Uh, the choices that one makes to have a longevity in the winter sports. What can the choices they make impact to see how long they can participate and not su suffer a life-altering injury. So those are kind of the five documentaries that we've made based around safety. And every five years, uh, we remake them uh, so that the content is always fresh and the content's never old or stale. And it keeps up with the advancements in equipment and technology and, and just the way that these are all coming together. 
Cool. I, I really like that last one that you were talking about in terms of like longevity. Um, what were some of the tips that are in that documentary? Because I, with me, I was trying to be such a tough guy playing football that, you know, running people over and always seeking contact. And like looking back, I'm like, I was just a freaking idiot instead of like playing smart and like avoiding contact in certain situations. So what's your advice for athletes to have uh, a, you know, luxury, not luxurious, uh, to improve their longevity yeah yeah you know in that film we really looked at these little simple mistakes and in these massive consequences that 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 happened from them um i really believe like my concept now and the entire thing that uh that i kind of do is i always think like would my mom want me to do this and my mom um unfortunately passed away to cancer in 2014 so i believe my mom's my angel and uh i i constantly now uh, kind of use that statement and I wish I would have thought of that at a young age because like you I always believed like physical contact was the best type of contact and if you crashed hard that was awesome but in the reality of things um, I really like to always now kind of use the the thought process is if my mom's watching down on me would my mom be having me for the choice I'm about to make and um, you know you don't always make the best choices but I'll tell you what um, when you can see the consequences ahead of the choice, that's really when you know that you've made that impact in that individual's life because they're making the consequential choice to have the best decision um, so that they don't have a, you know, a catastrophic event happen from making that wrong choice or, or making that choice that has a, a really heavy consequence behind it. All right, cool. Based off of some of the athletes who you've worked with and you said like they, you talk about what the, decision they made that was poor that day that led to them getting hurt are there any like common themes you know a, a big one like mine uh speed speed is always a factor that, that you see in, in people's um you know kind of uh applications when we receive them i was going too fast or i was at a speed that was you know too fast for the terrain that, that's a common thing another big one that we have a lot is ego versus intuition when the ego outplays or outperforms the intuition of the human body when you allow your ego to make the decision instead of allowing your intuition to give you the best decision for you to uh to kind of move forward on those those are two that those are probably the two most common uh that we see um on a regular basis Damn, ego over intuition. That was definitely my fault. Yeah. I had like really bad headaches going into the game that I almost died in. Uh, yeah. And I was so worried about being the senior captain and the girls in the stands and going out there winning a state championship that my gut was telling me. I literally told my friends, like, I'm going to die tonight because my head hurts me so bad. And so I knew something was wrong, but I was so you know focused on what my ego was telling me to keep going and keep playing that that was definitely my my downfall. So I like that. Um, so the girls I, the girls in the stand never make it easy. No, nah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so I know community is like a huge you know aspect to the High Fives Foundation. So how and and to people's athletes' recoveries in general. So how do you cultivate? your community at uh, high fives you know the way that we cultivate um everything uh, at high fives is is built around inclusive um allowing anyone to be a part of it and and really allowing that inclusive component um to to be a big part of of creating it because when you bring people that that don't mind you know anything other than they want to be a part of the group uh you really create some uh, magic 
amongst that group. And then that just virally spreads and other people that see it want to be a part of that. They want to experience that. And, uh, I think that's a really positive thing for us. Okay. Um, just as we kind of wrap up the interview here, um, can you give me your, I guess, advice to athletes who are trying to find a new identity like you, you found after your injury. And I know it took me a while, uh, but I found one after as well. Um, but I know it's a really tough thing, even for an athlete who's temporarily out of their sport. You know, I think, I think that's, that's really where community and that's really where these support systems that we have spoken about kind of on this call really come into, uh, the biggest play is that when someone gets hurt, they really lose this hope of identity and it's really then which path they're going to take. And by surrounding yourself with, you know, positive people, by surrounding yourself with positive community members, by surrounding yourself with, with people that have experienced this or people that have experienced it from a, from a family or friend component as well. That's really where that identity can get switched and, and all of a sudden reignited uh, to redefine themselves, to, to find new possibilities out of that injury, pulling the negative out and finding the positive and taking that positive and saying, this is my driving force. And this is my driving force that's going to redefine who I am and redefine the identity that I once had into an entirely new person that is going to have superhuman powers. Because I'll tell you what, folks that suffer life-altering injuries and overcome them, they have something inside of them. They have resilience and resilience is something that, that isn't taught. It's a genetic trait and it's a pretty exciting thing when you find folks with these high outputs of resilience and the way that they almost summon the power of resilience to help them overcome and reestablish their identity. Damn, I, the, the passion in your voice when you were talking about that was like incredible. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> As far as uh, running a nonprofit, what kind of obstacles have you faced and overcome in in that space? Just because I think, you know, that it might be applicable to injury recovery as well in, in some aspects. You know, the the hardest thing is 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 how do you show what you're doing is as worthy or as valuable to other nonprofits out there. There's so many great nonprofits and they, they all focus on so many things. You know, there's humane societies, there's cancer societies, there's environmental societies, there's folks, you know, that, that do things that, you know, are niche market organizations and high fives is definitely a niche market organization. Um, you know, a pretty amazing stat that really shows the, the amount of folks that, um, you know, know about what we do is if you have a, if you have a room of a hundred people and you ask them, do you know a veteran? 93 people in the room will say, I know a veteran. If you have 100 people in the room and you say, how many people do you know participate in mountain sports? The average answer is about 7% or seven people in the room. So the, the, the clientele that we serve is small, but the impact that we have is large. And it, it, it really has started to transcend across outside of just the mountain sports by bringing in our veterans program, by, by bringing in other aspects to it. And the, the methodology that we use at High Fives is just surrounding people with positivity and allowing them to set goals, goals that are obtainable. And always setting that one audacious goal that, that'll help you just always want to improve or always want to be stepping above higher to that, to that level. And, um, you know, I, I found that in, in the nonprofit world is how do you, how do you stand out among others? And to me, I, I think it really comes down to one of our five core values, which is integrity. And if every single day you show up with integrity and you really always put integrity first, and also you always put your mission first, if you're always driving towards your mission, um, 
you will be successful. And you know, sometimes it takes a lot of no's to get a yes. And that famous saying, 10, three, one, you know, talk to 10 people, get to really meet three and have one person really impact your life. I'll tell you what, I've done that process probably a million times in this, in this world of nonprofits. And Never getting discouraged is always the the biggest thing. And as you, you said, that's exactly the same concept of overcoming a life-altering injury. Is not ever allowing your discouragement to be the forefront of, of what you're showing to others. And allowing your discouragement to just fuel you. To say, you know what? I'm glad you said no because I'm gonna come back and you're gonna say yes five times more now. And that's just the resilience that you know I've used not only in my own recovery, but the resilience that I put forth every single day to ensure that I am working towards the mission for the High Fives Foundation every day that I that I wake up, and that I do it in a way that is based around this simplicity of integrity, and that every day the work that I do has integrity backing it up. And I'll tell you, if you, if you do those things, and if you use these three words in life, resilience, accountability, and persistence, rap music, you will always, always win. Back to that 50 cent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was great, uh, Roy. Thanks. Um, where can people find High Fives on, you know, on like what's your website, social media, any other cool hashtags like helmets are cool? Yeah, we uh we got a we got an amazing uh I got an amazing staff first and foremost. You know, what I do at High Fives, I do a little little bit of it. My staff are the ones who really just absolutely are the shining stars from our first ever athlete, Steve Wallace, who's now our program manager, who puts passion behind every single day to, to make sure that the people we serve get the best amount of human care possible out of their recovery. And then Becca Lofanowitz, who is our uh, social media network and operations manager at the organization. Uh, she runs a, an amazing ship from all of our digital platforms, from our website, highfivesfoundation.org, to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat channels, all High Fives Foundation. And, you know, we're able to, to really convey an amazing positive message through those platforms and, and having someone like Becca manage it and having someone like Steve with passion uh, behind his work every day. Those, those are those are two of the amazing employees that work at the organization. Um, every single person at, at High Fives, they, they all started as interns. And then from interns, they, they then basically became office assistants. And then we were allowed them to say, okay, what do you want to do for the organization? And instead of finding a, or hiring a professional in that field, we have legitimately homegrown or as you would say, um, you know, the farm system approach to building the best team. Uh, we built them up through the ranks. And because of that, uh, we've made a pretty amazing bond of the employees and the roles that the employees own every single day. That's really cool. And they, they have some ownership of, you know, what the high fives means to them too. That's really cool. Um, last question. What's your uh, personal definition of, of toughness? Ooh, my personal definition of toughness. Uh, my personal definition of toughness um, really builds around the way that individuals get themselves up after they're knocked down. The character, the class, and the camaraderie that that person carries after getting knocked down. And the way that they present themselves to the world, that that is what toughness is to me. Because, you know... It really takes adversity to find strength. And when someone suffers adversity and strength is the first thing that they show and they're, they're, they're almost proud, that, that, that is toughness. Because you can look at things from so many different platforms, but you know, social anxiety is something that is real. And when your identity gets completely changed in the social mindset or the social makeup that, that, that is your life, 
and the way that you identify yourself moving forward from from this type of adversity, from a life-altering injury, from that, that 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 is what toughness is to me. And the other thing that toughness is to me is is all the vets that we have in our military program. I've never met a tougher group of of individuals who, um, you know, they they've taken slams in lives protecting our country, but from there, they now come out and they go skiing and snowboarding. And I've seen them take some of the biggest slams I've ever seen. Slams that most guys would be like, all right, game over. I'm going home. Day's done. And these guys just get up, they laugh, they dust the snow off them and they just keep going. So those are kind of my two definitions of toughness. I, I really like that. And I, that's something that I'm striving to kind of redefine in our culture um, just because of you know, I was trying to be what I thought was tough at the time when I was 17, and it's kind of changed since then. But in your definition, I kind of reminded me that I completely forgot to ask you about like what some of your programs are that you work with these veterans and athletes who have suffered life-altering uh, injuries. Yeah, so we have we have some pretty amazing programs. We have our empowerment fund, uh, financial assistance to those that suffer life-altering injuries while pursuing a dream in the mountain action sports. Uh, as folks that suffer injuries while participating in the sports they love. The the sports that they do is their form of art. And so a lot of times people are saying, well, you support daredevils. Well, you know, you can look at it that way. or Or you can look at it in the way that it's art to them and the, their impression or the way that they show uh, their art is through the fluidity that they create on their uh, equipment that they use. So a skier, you know, a set of skis, that that is that person's paintbrush. And, you know, you would never take a paintbrush out of the hand of an artist, just like you would never take a pair of skis out of the hands of an individual that uses skiing as their form of art. And so the empowerment fund, uh, basically when insurance says no, high five says yes. Inside of that empowerment fund, we have the adaptive camp series where we uh, bring together high fives athletes to participate and start to re-engage in new types of sports from adaptive ski racing to adaptive surfing, adaptive fly fishing, adaptive rock climbing, and adaptive water skiing. A pretty amazing creation uh, that we've been able to do within the empowerment fund and then also inside of our empowerment fund is our military to the mountains where we work with veterans that have been critically wounded that go through nine weeks of personal training and that has a focus uh, either to skiing or snowboarding and then at the end of nine weeks they come to uh, Lake Tahoe California and they go skiing or snowboarding for the first time in their life since being critically wounded and the creation of this program is literally just reprogramming the mindset of these uh, of these warriors all these warriors they went to boot camp and at the end of nine weeks they went on to be soldiers. Well, at the end of nine weeks here, they go on to be skiers or snowboarders. And it's just a reprogramming of, uh, of the process for them. And it's an absolute miracle uh, to get all these guys together uh, because it's such a, an amazing group of people. And when I say miracle, it's, it's a miracle in the most positive standpoint as getting all these like-minded individuals together that want to, to challenge each other, to re-identify themselves uh, beyond being critically wounded. They just want to be skiers or snowboarders. And it's, a, it's just an absolute clue, uh, just an absolute blessing. And then we have two more programs, our safety program basics. We spoke about a little bit, be aware safe in critical situations. And then here in Truckee, California, we have a 2,800 square foot facility called the Sierra Johnson Healing Center, which provides every different modality of healing at a no cost, no question environment for all high fives athletes. And then we have programs in place for the community members to use that are obviously pay for, um, that they pay directly out of their pockets. But um, all these programs come together for this ultimate goal of uh, being the safety net of the mountain action sports community and something that we try to cast our net as wide as possible to try to catch an athlete before and after they crash to ensure that they feel like high five serves uh, our mission to the fullest and that we serve the community that we love so much 
that's a power powerful uh, visual with the safety net. I really like that. Um, and and Roy, I'm honored to you know showcase your story and all the great things that you guys do at the High Fives Foundation. Um, so I really appreciate your time and, and coming on the show today. And uh, thank you. Hey. Dude, Kevin, thanks so much, man. This was this was easily the, the most fun interview ever. It just naturally flowed, and it was really great to chat with you. And um, I can't wait to see the uh, the final product from all this and, and see what uh, – get to hear my voice again through the, uh, the other side of it. Yeah, there you go.